All right, today our reading is going to be uh, Mark three thirteen to 21. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again, so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He's out of his mind. Thank you, Rachel. Let's see if you can hear me better. Thank you, Rachel. Well, it's good to be here this morning with you guys and with you guys who are tuning in, uh, whether that's through Facebook or Instagram. I am always glad to be able to teach, and I'm actually, I'm really glad that I've been able to teach two weeks in a row, especially with these passages, because I feel like these passages work hand in hand, what I talked about last week and this week. Um, and if you weren't here last week, that's fine, but just a quick catch up so you understand what I mean, but is that last week I talked about how the pa- these passages mark a change in the overarching story of Mark. Um, last week, we saw how Jesus was turning his attention from religious leaders to now the crowd, to the masses. And we talked about how the crowd was no longer just like a group of people from that area, but it was massive. It was a huge gathering that was international, had people from different countries and different regions. We also talked about how Jesus' ministry started starts to shift from being mostly about healing to about preaching. And today's passage marks another big change because today we're going to talk about the choosing of the 12 disciples, which my lovely wife just read. Uh, now sometimes, and I'm guilty of this too, that when you're reading through the Bible and you come to a list of names, it just kind of fills you with a, a bit of dread. Like, it's what if I go around and I was to ask anybody in the room or anybody watching, like, what is your favorite part of the Bible? I can probably guarantee it that none of you are going to point to a genealogy or some giant list of names that is somewhere in there. But as you study and as you learn more about the Bible, you find out that lists are really important. The way lists are written in, the, in these books are very, like, it's meticulously put together because they all have a purpose that they're trying to tell you. There, there's a reason of why they have the certain names, why they list the certain names. All of that is thought out. Uh, a quick example of this, of a list that gets like kind of not looked at closely because it just seems like a long list of names is Genesis 5. There's a genealogy there. But if you take the names listed there, And you look at what each name means, and you just take their meanings from Hebrew, and you just stick them all together, you get a sentence sentence that says, Men put on mortal dwelling, praiseworthy God, came down to teach, so at his extent of time lost rest. 
which sounds confusing, I understand. But if we take those Hebrew words and we kind of translate them into uh, plain English, you get humans became mortal. So God came down to teach them so that in time the lost may find rest. Genesis 5 is literally the gospel written in Hebrew names, but people miss that because they're like, oh, this is just a list of names, and they just read through it real quickly, or they just skip over it. So with that in mind, let's look at our passage and see what we can pick out from this list that Mark, Mark's give, Mark gives us. There, Sorry about that. Verse 13 states, And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. So first off, this isn't the first time Jesus ever like gets off by himself in the book of Mark. But there is something that's new here. Usually in the book of Mark, when he is leaving, when he is secluding himself, when he's getting away, he's doing it by himself. He's doing it in a time where it's not going to disrupt his ministry. He's either doing it really late at night or early in the morning. But remember, this is coming off the passage we just read. He just had a huge crowd around him. So what we're seeing is Jesus is actually break, intentionally breaking off from the crowd. And not only is he breaking off the, from the crowd, but he's actually bringing a group of people with him. There is some changes here. And also, as we get into the actual list of the disciples, one thing to remember is that those weren't the only disciples that followed Jesus. Right? There, this is like the famous group of 12, but we read throughout the Gospels that there's actually a large group that follows Jesus around. Jesus is picking out these 12 as kind of almost being like his inner circle. It's like a leadership team for this larger group. And there might be something you're wondering about is why 12, right? Like we, we just kind of take it for granted. Oh, there's 12 disciples. There's the 12 apostles, etc. But you might all might have wondered, well, why would Jesus pick that specific number? Well, in the Bible, there's themes that repeat themselves, and one of those things are numbers. Numbers are very important in the Bible. For instance, seven is a very famous number because it's the number of completeness. It's, you have the seven days of creation. Um, you have on the, every seventh year is a Sabbath year. Seven times seven years is the Jubilee year, right? It's, these numbers come up over and over and over again because they represent different things. And you might be wondering, okay, well, what about 12? Well, I'm pretty confident that 12 just means Israel. It's when the number 12 comes up, it's dealing something with Israel. And I mean, the obvious connection is the 12 tribes of Israel. You probably already have that linked up into your mind. But in the Bible, we're also told that there's 12 elders that rule over the 12 tribes of Israel. In Revelation, there's, they talk about a remnant of Israel that is preserved of 144,000 people and that's made up of 12,000 people from each tribe. In the book of Judges, there are 12 judges that judge Israel. And in the Old Testament, there are 12 minor prophets. All that to say, 12 is an, imp 12 is an important number, and I think Jesus chose 12 precisely for all of these reasons. Jesus is, in a way, he's forming a new Israel. So who does Jesus pick to fill these prestigious roles? to take on uh, the leadership of the church. Because remember, Jesus knows his mission. Jesus knows he's only going to be on earth for so many years, and then he's going to die, he's going to raise the life, and then he's going to ascend. So the people he's picking are going to be the people who are the future of the gospel. The church is going to be built on whoever he chooses. So does he pick people who are powerful? 
Does he pick people who have influence or people who are, are knowledgeable? You know, the kind of people that maybe you look at and if you see their CV, you get kind of jealous of all the things that they've done. Are those the people that Jesus calls? No, not at all. Now, now real quick, before we get to the list, uh, a quick challenge, if you will. If you have your Bibles open, uh, just quickly close them. If it's on your phone, just close the app because I just want to, this is going to be the interactive section of the sermon. And I just want to know how many of the 12 disciples can we remember off the top of our heads? I mean, Rachel just read it a few minutes ago. And I know that you in the live stream that are watching this, you obviously can't shout out and (laughs) any of us hear it, but I do have my phone that has little comments and there is a little bit of a delay. So feel free to interact as well. Post in the comments, people you remember, but real quick, people in the room, I just want to hear what are some disciples that you remember? Matthew, Thomas, Andrew, Simon, Philip, Judas, Thaddeus, uh, there, Bartholomew. So I'm trying to. Re- I actually lost count of how many we've said. I don't think we've said James. We have said Judas. We have James the Lesser. That's year There's two James. So. I was waiting to see if somebody else would say James. Uh, I'll just keep going because in interest of time. But actually, that's really impressive that you guys said those names. In fact, you said some of the names that usually people don't say because there are a few people on the list that just people seem to forget. <laughs> um, right? Before I started studying this passage, like to teach, I, I'll just admit I couldn't tell you all 12 off the top of my head. I could probably get pretty close but if you, if you were like, hey, can you tell me the 12 right now? I'd be like, uh, I'd maybe get like 10 if I was lucky. Because um, I mean, like there's people that everybody know. Like some of those names, like Peter uh, is one person everybody knows. Judas, everybody knows, not necessarily for the best reason. I mean, Matthew uh, is kind of easy to remember. Matthew has a whole book named after him, uh, right? But, you know, Thaddeus, I was very impressed. Bartholomew, that's usually names that people don't always remember. Um, yeah, as we talk through these names, we need to remember that even the ones that we don't get a lot of information on, even the ones that we don't remember, they were still part of the 12. They still did everything that the 12 did. They got to spend time with Jesus. What... They did, even if we didn't learn a lot about them, their lives still affect us today. Like, their, their lives will ripple throughout all eternity what they did because they were one of the 12 and they got to spend that time with Jesus and learning about him. So with that said, let's, let's look at these names. Now, there's, in the three of the Gospels, we get a list. We get Matthew, Mark, and Luke. I'll give us a list of the 12. John does not give us a list. He just gives us kind of like, he says the 12, or he gives us like random names every so often. Um, and of these lists, um, the, there's always f- three groups of four. So if you actually read through the list, there's all, it's always broken up this way. There's four, then four, then four. And inside each group, the names might change depending on which li- list you're reading, but they're always organized that way. Um... And it's not quite clear why they're always ordered this way. Um, it could be that this is the order they were called. 
The first four is always Peter, Andrew, James, and John. In Mark 1, we're told those are his first disciples. In fact, those are usually the first four disciples that are listed in all of the Gospels. So it might line up with that. But the hard part of just thinking, okay, maybe it's by order that they were called, is that we're not given the story of how Jesus meets all of the 12. And like I said, John doesn't give us a list at all. So we don't know when Jesus met every single one of them. But what I think is actually happening is two different things. First, the grouping is related on, I think, who just naturally grouped together. Because in Matthew, we're told that Jesus sent them out two by two. There is natural groups of people that just formed within the larger group. And I think that's what we see. Um, also, there are several disciples that are always mentioned together. James and John are like always mentioned together. And the disciples that are mentioned together always are in the same group of four. Second, I think these groups are listed in order of how well they might have been known in the local church back when the Gospels were written. And might have might be a way of us seeing who was just people that worked in front versus behind the scenes. Because remember, the Gospels were not written right after Jesus ascended. In fact, many people think a lot of Paul's letters, which are after the Gospels when you read the New Testament, were actually written before the Gospels. So with that in mind, it makes sense that there's always some names that happen to be at the front and always some names that happen near the end. And especially Peter is always the first person listed in every list, which makes sense because he becomes kind of the leader of the church. And Judas is always listed at the end, which makes sense because he betrays Jesus and they don't want to give him any kind of honor. But let's talk about Peter first, right? He's the first name we get. And Peter is, of course, probably one of the best-known disciples. He has many famous stories about him. Uh, he walks on water. He declares Jesus is the Son of God. He gets called Satan by Jesus. You know, he really just gets the whole range of experiences as a disciple. And, of course, nothing probably, like, captures this better then when Peter tells Jesus that he, would ne that he would die for him, he will never deny him, that he even pulls out a sword and slices off a guy's ear, and then immediately after doing that, he denies Jesus three times, right? That is Peter in a nutshell. James and John are brothers, the sons of Zebedee. Mark tells us that they have an interesting nickname, the sons of thunder. Mark also shows us that uh, there's a reason they were given that nickname. Like, we often think Peter as like kind of like the loud mouth, the guy who gets his foot stuck in his mouth all the time. But I think James and John probably could have given Peter a run for his money. Because um, if you remember last week, one of the big misconceptions that people had was they thought, oh, the Messiah is going to come and it's going to be this conquering king. And James and John really epitomizes how that misconception was in the twelve disciples, because in Luke 9, we read about this story about they were going to go through a Samaritan town, but the Samaritan town wouldn't accept Jesus. So Luke 9, 54 says, and when his disciples, James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Right? These guys were ready to dish out divine justice. And it wasn't, their boldness didn't end there. They 
we're actually quite ambitious because in Mark 10.37, we're told, and they said to him, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left hand in, in glory. Like these guys, they knew what they wanted. They thought that Jesus was going to be this conquering king and they wanted to rule with him and they wanted to be able to uh, judge the rest of the world. Andrew, the last of the first four, is Peter's brother. His biggest claim to fame is that he brought Peter to Jesus, uh, which is what we're told in John 1. Specifically, John 1, 40 to 41 says, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon's Peter, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Now, the John mentioned there is John the Baptist, meaning that Andrew started actually as one of John the Baptist's disciples. Um, and you may have also noticed it said one of the two. We're only given one name of these two disciples that left John the Baptist to follow Jesus. But it's highly probable that that other one was John, the brother of James. And I just point all that out to say that these first four probably grew up together. They probably knew each other. They were all fishermen. Like they, it wouldn't be surprising if they were all friends before they became disciples of Jesus. Now, the next four, we start getting a little less details about. First, we, we read about Philip. Um, we know that he is from the same town as Peter and Andrew, so there's a good chance that, again, they all knew each other. We learn everything we know about Philip from the Gospel of John. Like, that's where we're actually told a lot about Philip. And really what we see is Philip is a person who brings people to Jesus. John 12, 20 to 21 says, Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who, were, who was from Bethesda in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Philip would later then bring them to Jesus. Philip also brings another person to Jesus in John's gospel, which is Nathaniel, which brings us to the next person on the list, Bartholomew. Now I say that because in John's gospel, like I said, there's no list. But also, there's no Bartholomew in anywhere in John, but there is this Nathaniel. And it's very clear if we look at the connections that it's most likely Bartholomew and Nathaniel were the same person. Uh, for instance, Nathaniel is actually there with the 12 disciples at the end of John, John 21, when Jesus shows up. So it's most likely he is one of these 12. Also, Bartholomew just means son of Talmai. So it's often thought that that was like a family name, like that was a last name. So Nathaniel would have been his first name. And also Bartholomew is always connected with Philip. Those two are always paired together, which again, like I said, probably means that Nathaniel's the same person because Nathaniel was brought to Jesus through Philip. Uh, one other really cool thing about Nathaniel is that he actually beats Peter to the punch in declaring that Jesus is the son of God. Like we always lift up Peter as saying like, oh, he makes this really great declaration. But sometimes we forget poor Nathaniel, who when he first meets Jesus, he declares that Jesus is the son of God right then and there. Matthew is another disciple most people remember because he has a book named after him. Uh, Joel actually taught us about Matthew's calling just a few weeks ago in Mark 2. Specifically, Mark 2 verse 14 says, and he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Now you might be wondering, well, you just said Levi, 
You didn't say Matthew. Uh, well, first off, it's not uncommon for people to have two names back then, a Greek name and a Hebrew name. But more importantly, Matthew in his gospel actually identifies himself as that tax collector, right? Mark and Luke both say Levi, but if you read the same passage, the same story that happens in Matthew, Matthew just puts his name in there. And you might be wondering, well, why change it? Well, it could be that Mark was maybe not trying to bring up Matthew's shameful past, maybe not trying to like just like explicitly say, look at how bad Matthew used to be. But I also think it has to do with how names are very important. And you see, Matthew means gift of God. So I think Matthew switching to using his Greek name after being called is almost a sign of his understanding that Jesus was giving him a gift by calling him. Now, up to this point, it'd be easy to see how every disciple so far would have known each other and probably would have been friends, but then we get to Matthew. Now, I do think most of them knew who Matthew was, but not in a good way because Matthew was the tax collector. Matthew was a traitor to Israel. He worked for Rome. He was seen as just utterly wicked by people. Like tax collectors were just seen as they were like some of the biggest sinners. I mean, if you look back at the story in Mark 2, Verse 16, it says, And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? So by including Matthew into this group, Jesus is showing that he's calling people that don't have to have a perfect pass. He's also showing that he's not interested in selecting only people that were going to like each other or are popular or we're going to get along right away. Thomas, who is also called the twin because his name means twin, is the final person of the middle four. He is most famously known as Doubting Thomas, but I think that's a little bit harsh, and I think it's a little unfair to Thomas, because in John, we read that he says this very faith-filled statement. It says in John eleven sixteen, so Thomas, called the twin, said to his, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we, that we may die with him. Thomas is one of the only disciples that seems to understand what Jesus's mission is. Like all the other disciples get so confused when Jesus says over and over again that he's going to have to die. And Thomas, knowing that, still wants to follow him. So when you think of Thomas, remember that he is more than just somebody who has doubts. And this brings us to the final four. And these four, out of these four, there's three that we almost get almost basically no information on. And those are usually the three that people have the hardest time remembering. Um, and sometimes this lack of information can lead to a lot of speculation on who each of these people were. And none of the disciples get more speculation on who they were than James, son of Alphaeus. He is often linked to another James listed in the Gospels, James the Lesser. Um, he's listed, which is a James that's mentioned later on in Mark. James... The lesser are sometimes James the Younger, depending on the translation. The thought being that, oh, they called him that to distinguish him from the other James, right? Because, like, I mean, I, I, I'm lucky because my, my name's Shelby, so I never had to experience this. But I do know growing up that if you're in a classroom, there's usually a few people that share a name. And so they have to be like, uh, you're Mike B and you're Mike R, or like there's a nickname for one and not a nickname for the other, right? So... That's probably what was going on. But there's also some speculation around James that he is um, 
linked to maybe Matthew, because Matthew, right, if you remember the calling, it says that he was the son of Alphaeus as well. So it could be that they were brothers. Of course, the, there is a problem with that, is that if James is James the Lesser, then we're told that James the Lesser had a mother named Mary, and we're given a list of sons, and Matthew or Levi is not shown up in that list. Also, and this is when you go down a real rabbit hole, so I'm not going to dig down deep because I know that I've already been talking for a while, but James can sometimes be linked to James, the brother of Jesus. Um, and there are some connections there when you dig in, and actually some early church fathers actually held this belief as well, but many modern scholars kind of look at that skeptically. All that to say, James, we either will, we either know a little bit, basically nothing about, or we might know a lot about, depending on which James is James. Uh, Thaddeus is also a slight anomaly in that he doesn't show up in the list of disciples in Luke. Luke lists a person named Judas, son of James, but luckily for us, unlike James, son of Alphaeus, this is a lot easier of a problem to overcome because like we talked with Matthew, a lot of times people went by a Greek and a Hebrew name, so it's very clear, most people agree on this, that Thaddeus was the Greek name, whereas Judas would have been his Hebrew name, which you might wonder, well, why why not just use the same name across? Why does Luke use Judas? Well, I think that has to deal with who the, the fact that there's another Judas on this list, and he probably didn't want to be associated with that one. But before we get to that Judas, there's one last person we need to talk about, and that's Simon the Zealot. And all we know about him is that He's a zealot. That's it. Like, that's, that's all that we get for Simon. Now, we are told that the zealots were kind of like a domestic terrorist group in a way. Like, they were freedom fighters trying to overthrow Rome and free Israel. So it's, it's probably safe to assume that, you know, Simon started following Jesus with that same misconception that, oh, Jesus is going to be this conquering king. He's going to free us from Rome. I want to be there to help him do that. And then lastly, we get to another person that can be argued as the most famous disciple, not in a good way, Judas Iscariot. That the name Iscariot means from Kerioth, so that would place him in a town from southern Judea, meaning that he's one of the few disciples that we would know for sure weren't from Galilee. Like most of the first few disciples we know for sure are from Galilee. Then there's a few that we're not told. We have no idea where they're from. And then Judas, at least, uh, is heavily hinted at that he's from Judea. I also mentioned last week that when we were talking about the parable of the sower, that there's the one seed that falls on the ground with the weeds. And it represents a person who receives the word, they want to follow Jesus, but when they look at the cares of the world, when it becomes a little bit too tough, they fall away. And I think Jesus had Judas in the back of his mind when he was saying that. Because Judas really did care about the things of the world. We know that Judas was in charge of the money for the group. Uh, John 13, 29 tells us some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, but buy what we need for the feast or that he should give some money to the poor. But we also know that he was stealing from the money bag because also in John 12, 4 through 6, we're told, but Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples who was about to betray him, said, 
Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Of course, Judas is most famous for betraying Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. He later, we read that he does later regret his decision. He tries to return the money, but it's too late. And he ends up killing himself in response. And that concludes our list of the 12 disciples. But why do I take the time to go through all of them? Why, why not just like breeze through and say, oh, these are the 12 disciples and then move on? Well, first, these 12 men are the reason that we can trust what we're reading today. You see, what I, why I say that is that Jesus, as a rabbi back then, would have walked around and he would have said the same message over and over and over again. He might have changed it a little bit, maybe changing his illustration, maybe changing a little bit of a parable here and there, depending on who's listening and what the situation is. But he would have repeated it over and over again, meaning these 12 people who are with him all the time would have heard that same message over and over again, meaning that they could then go on and repeat it word for word. So when we're reading the Gospels, which are written off of their eyewitness accounts, we can trust that, oh yeah, that is what Jesus said, because the people that are telling the person who's writing it down heard it, who knows how many different times, right? We take for granted that when we come to church, we expect whoever's teaching is going to be teaching something new, right? I, for those who were here last week, and you're coming in this week, you probably weren't expecting me to come up and be like, hey, now let's turn to Mark 7, um, and I'm going to now exactly say exactly the same thing that I said last week with maybe a few tweaks, right? That's not how it works, but that's how it worked back then. And so we have a lot to thank these 12 men for because it's because of them that we can trust what we're reading today. I also want to point out how being with Jesus changes people because I gave you kind of all of what happened to them before Jesus died and came back to life. Peter goes from a guy who often gets himself in trouble for his big mouth, not just saying stuff without speaking, usually saying stuff ignorantly, like he just has to come up with an opinion, to being one of a, these an amazing preacher, what we read in Acts. Somebody who is very knowledgeable, who says things with intention. He's also the person who is used to bring the Holy Spirit to the Gentiles, Right, The story where Peter is called Satan by Jesus is because Peter, in his mind, knows what Jesus is supposed to be. Jesus said, just said that, oh, he's going to go die. He's going to go die. And Peter's like, no, you're not. You're supposed to be this conquering king. Peter wasn't willing to change his opinion based off of what Jesus was saying. Yet, in the story where, in Acts where Peter goes and talks to the Gentiles and the Holy Spirit comes upon the Gentiles. We can see that Peter changes his mind because he's willing now to just accept what the Holy Spirit teaches him. James and John, right? They go from uh, being these loud mouth, like brutes kind of a way of who just want to rule to, I mean, James is the first person that we know that gets martyred, like in Acts we read. Right? He goes from somebody who wants to dish out judgment to being willing to give up his life for the gospel. And John, I mean, he goes on and writes John 1, which is all about loving each other. John is also, we're also told in Acts that when he gets beat by um, the officials in the temple, he praises God. 
right? He doesn't say, oh, I'm going to now call down fire for you insulting me. He actually turns and says, God, thank you so much for giving me this opportunity. I mean, if you just look throughout all of them, all of them are changed. I mean, if you look just at Acts 1, where Luke repeats his list, we see that they're all still together after Jesus ascended, which means that they now all understood the actual message and were on board, right? A lot of them became on board because they thought Jesus was going to become this king. And then he, they realized he wasn't going to be a king, but that didn't make them fall away. They instead continued to follow him. But I think one of the main reasons I wanted to talk about each one of them is I wanted to point out that none of these people were special, right? None of them were the people that you would think God would entrust the future of the church with. They weren't rich. They weren't famous. You know, they weren't even religious leaders. These were just normal people, some of whom were seen as evil, and some of whom came from very extremist backgrounds. And these 12 not only had to work together, but they had to become to a point where they could love each other as a family. Jesus does not require you to become something before being able to be used by him. You don't have to first get a degree in Bible or go to seminary. Jesus just wants people who are willing to come when he calls them. Finally, there's two verses that we need to cover, and that's the final two verses of our passage. And I think these are important because it shows kind of a contrast between the 12 disciples and Jesus' earthly family. Verses 11 and 12 say, um, I mean 20 and 21 say, Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again, so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. Look at how Jesus reacts to what Jesus' family reacts to what's going on. They think Jesus has gone crazy. In fact, just a few verses later in Mark, Jesus is going to be informed, Hey, your mother and your brothers are here. And he is going to respond by saying, who are my mother and my brothers? And he's going to point to the people around him and say, these are my family. We too are called to come together as a family to follow Jesus. We too can be made up of people from all kinds of backgrounds, uh, social, circle, social circles, educations, and even different views on scripture because we're united in the fact that we all follow the same person, Jesus. So what? So why study all of this? Well, Jesus doesn't need you to first get to a certain level in order to use you. Jesus doesn't need you to come from a certain background in order to use you. Jesus doesn't need you to have lived a life free of major mistakes in order to use you. Jesus doesn't need you to come from a perfect family in order to use you. Those, Jesus just needs people who call, come when he calls. Those are the people who will find themselves changed by spending time with Jesus. Those are the people who will serve boldly and do great things. Those are the people that we say make up the family of the church. So just two questions for you guys. Have you come to Jesus? And what family are you in? Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for today. Thank you so much that you came, that you sent your son, and that you didn't choose the people that were the most famous. You didn't choose the people that were the most knowledgeable. You didn't choose the people 
that had the most influence, but you chose the nobodies, God. You chose the ordinary people. That you choose the weak to shame the strong. Because while we might build up these requirements in our heads, or we might say, no, you need to have this title, or you need to have this degree before you can do something, you clearly show you don't. You just need, to be, you just need people that are faithful to come when you call. And so that's what I pray, God. I pray that we will be people that will just faithfully follow you, no matter where you call us, no matter where you lead us, that we'll be a people who will live in harmony with each other as a family, that we won't just that we won't disregard other people because maybe we disagree on one or two things or maybe we think oh those people are sinners how could you use them but instead we will see each other as brothers and sisters and that we will love each other in your name thank you so much for all that you have done and all that you will do in your name amen